Thanks for watching this video from Cherry Hills Church. During this series, we want to spend time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live the way of Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. It's about 12 years ago, I was preaching at the 8 a.m. service, and it was actually a message about friendship. This just tells you how God works. And a young man was sitting in the very back row after the service. He came up front, and he was just broken. He said, I need Jesus in my life, and he accepted Jesus, and he just began to take off in his faith, so much so uh, that he ended up going on a couple missionary trips, and he was just all in. It was so awesome to see. And then out out of nowhere, it was just done. He just left. He didn't come back to church. He got back into his old lifestyle, his old life, his old friends, and I just sat there going, how do I explain this? I'm sure some of you have had similar experiences with people in your life, and you've wondered the same thing. Well, the passage we're going to look at together this morning as we continue to work our way through the Gospel of Mark in a series we called The Way of Jesus, gives some answers towards this. This is such an important teaching for us. I've often said it this way. I don't know if I would still be in ministry just because of the heartbreak that I sometimes feel towards different people I've come across and mentored and discipled if it weren't for this story. If you haven't been with us, we are in a series where basically we just want to spend time with Jesus, learning from Jesus, how we can live the way of Jesus. And we do that by looking at Jesus' words, by looking at his works, and mostly we want to look at the way he lived his life so we can learn to follow his example. And today we really step into this idea of looking at Jesus' words. And one of the primary ways that he used words was through parables. Now, what are parables? If you're following on your notes with me, parables are simply stories giving everyday things, things that the people in his time would have been familiar with, a deeper meaning. Parables are a method of teaching that use stories to try to experience a deeper understanding of these. Maybe you have heard these before. Have you ever heard of Aesop's fables? Right? Like most of them are only two pages long and there's some sort of story, but there's always a lesson, a deeper meaning behind these little stories. And this is how Jesus taught. I mean, he was a master teacher. As we'll see in Mark, even in this morning, some people, they can understand the deeper meaning of these parables. Other people cannot. And this is why he will say things like, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. He's saying, hearing isn't just about taking in information in your head. Hearing is about turning what you hear into your life, letting it take root. We all experience this, right? You're looking at your phone on the couch and your kids or your wife or your friends are trying to get your attention. You may be listening, sort of, but you're not really hearing what they're saying to the point that you're really taking it in. And this morning, we look at one of Jesus' most famous parables of all. It's known as the parable of the sower. I think a better title for it would be the parable of the four soils. And I think you'll see why I think that. But this parable really sets the stage for the other parables that Jesus tells throughout Mark. So why don't we take our Bibles, if you haven't already, take it to Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, we say this every week. We have Bibles underneath there. You can grab one of those, take that home with you as our gift to you. Give that to somebody maybe with that Easter invitation card. And you can find this on page 814 of those black Bibles. Now, before Mark gets to the parable itself, he begins with these words starting in verse 1. It says, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. 
The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, now let me just pause here, right? Luke did an awesome job a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, that at this point in Jesus' ministry, he is at the height of his popularity. There are large crowds gathering to hear from him, so large, in fact, that he's been forced to get into a boat and move a little bit away from the shore. Now, I understand exactly what Jesus is going through here. Like whenever I speak, you guys just flock to the front so much. So, I mean, this is why we have this extra stage here. And I just need some room. Okay, not really. But that's how it was for Jesus, right? People are just crowding in on him. They can't get enough of him. Why so popular? Well, we've seen, right? He's doing incredible stuff. He's healing diseases. He's setting people free. He's forgiving people's sins. And most importantly, he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and the fact that the king has come. But as Luke reminded us, Jesus knows crowds do not automatically mean followers. Sometimes crowds listen for what they want to hear, but they're not really hearing what they need to hear. And so this means that the kingdom isn't manifesting itself in their lives. And so with this large crowd present, Jesus begins to teach a parable about the kingdom and how we truly receive it as his followers. So let me just encourage you right now. Back in the day, nobody had a a Bible, right? They would listen to Jesus telling these stories. If you got your Bible open, we'll come back to it, but just listen to this parable that Jesus tells us right now. Let's have ears to hear. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let them hear. Mark goes on to write, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, those who don't have ears to hear, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seen but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might be turned and be forgiven. I'm going to skip that one. Apparently, the disciples don't get it, though. In verse 13, Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Like I said, this one really sets the stage for the rest of his parables. Now, like we said, right, in this parable, Jesus takes an everyday experience, one we're familiar with around these parts as well, farming, right? And he uses that to teach a deeper spiritual lesson here about himself and about his kingdom for those who will have ears to hear. So let's unpack it. I'm going to do this rapid fire, so get your pens ready. As he will explain to his disciples later, if you're following, the seed in the parable represents the spreading of God's word. And specifically in this context, it's the spreading of the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom. Now, I want to be clear here. Anytime we're opening up God's word, anytime you're opening up God's word, right, you have the opportunity to receive this seed. 
But in this particular context, Jesus is preaching about the kingdom and how one receives it. The farmer represents Jesus, or quite honestly, anyone who proclaims God's word. Whether that's in preaching like we're doing right now, or maybe you have kids and you do a daily devotion with them. Did you know that you are like a farmer and you are spreading God's word to others? And then finally, the soil represents people's hearts and how they receive the word. And the whole point of this parable is that as these large crowds gather around Jesus, Jesus wants to talk about what it really is going to look like in your life for you to receive the good news of the kingdom of God and receive Jesus as king. Not just listen to it, not just know about it, but to actually receive it and let it penetrate down in your heart. Friends, this really is a parable about the human heart and Jesus' invitation into his kingdom. Now, pause. Heart. What do you think when you hear the word heart? Right? Emotions. I think Valentine's Day ruined this for us as a country, right? It's all about how we feel, but you got to understand in the first century in Palestine, in Hebrew, this word heart doesn't just mean feelings. That's certainly a part of it. But if you're following on your notes, the heart in Hebrew is considered to be the seat of our mind, emotions, and will. All three. The best way to say it, it's the totality of who you are as a person. This is where we get our English idea. We're wholehearted, right? We are all in. Everything about me is in on this. The sad thing is we were influenced so much by Greek philosophy, we've kind of separated our heart from the rest of ourselves, right? There's spirit, soul, body, but in the Bible, heart includes your mind, The way you think, your heart includes your emotions and your heart includes your actions. Sometimes the body will, the Bible will say you think with your heart. Sometimes the Bible will say, obviously you feel things with your heart. And then also the Bible will say you act out of your heart. Give you one example. Paul writes this in Romans 6, 17. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey, how? From your heart. The pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Do you see there? Paul says you came to understand some things with your mind, and the result of that is your actions have now changed as well. And that's really what it means to submit to the king and to live in his kingdom. You cannot be a follower of Jesus. And yes, unless you've received the truth of God's word in your mind, it's going to cause some things to happen in your emotions. And then ultimately, it's going to change you so much that you are going to live a different kind of life. That's what happens. The the best example I can think of, if you're married in this room, when you stood at the altar and you looked at your spouse and you said, I do, you are not just saying, I mentally assent to the fact that we're about to be married, right? You're saying, I do. I'm giving myself whole heartedly to you. I do know sometimes my emotions are going to change but I give myself and my will to making sure we stay firm and committed in this relationship. 
So we give ourselves our mind. There's some things we got to give in our mind, right? We got to believe certain truths about who Jesus is, why he came, about his cross and resurrection. We're going to feel some things about Jesus. We're going to feel awe and glory. Sometimes we'll feel convicted because of our sin. And ultimately it will change and penetrate so deeply that we will live a different kind of life. We're wholehearted. That's what it means to follow the king in his kingdom. But not everybody receives the word of God like this, right? In fact, in this parable, if you're following, Jesus describes four kinds of hearts when it comes to hearing God's word. And we're going to look at these and we're going to have ears to hear whether or not I can see myself in one of these four hearts. The first kind of heart a person can have towards the message of Jesus is a hard heart. He explains it this way, starting in verse 14. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. Now pause here. The fields in ancient Palestine were kind of narrow and they had little paths that would run through them. I have a picture of a a field actually in uh, Palestine here. You can see if you tried to plant some seeds on that, it ain't gonna happen. Jesus explains in the second part of verse 15, listen, that's how some people receive God's word, his message. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. If you're following on your notes, these are people who have hardened hearts and will not receive Jesus as king. These are people who are opposed to the message of the gospel. Have you seen people in Mark like this yet? I mean, I think about the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They've witnessed incredible things about Jesus. He heals a crippled man on the Sabbath. And what is their reaction? We need to kill him. That's a hard heart. That is somebody opposed to the king and the kingdom. Today, what does this look like? Well, it can be several things. Certainly, there are people who are actively opposing the kingdom of God. I think about the time when the gospel of Mark was written. The church was coming under heavy persecution from the Roman Empire. These are people opposed, hardened to the kingdom of God. But more often than not, I think a hard heart comes from someone who's just not even interested. Not interested in letting Jesus into their life, changing the way that they're living. They have a hardened heart every time they hear the gospel. They may even come in contact with the word of God. They may know about Jesus. They may know about the Bible. Shoot, they may even read the Bible, but it doesn't penetrate their heart. Christianity is only theoretical or intellectual. It's for other people, but it hasn't reached down to them. You may have someone like this in your life. I know I do. And I pray for them regularly, that God would till up the ground of their hard heart. Can people like this ever change? Can they ever receive the gospel? Absolutely. I know of a man named A.N. Wilson. He's a famous author, and he was opposed to the message of Jesus, so much so he would write books about the Apostle Paul or about Jesus that would oppose the message. We had to read one of these in seminary, and literally I had to do a, uh, an essay where we wrote someone in our church who had read this book and was so confused. He was working on a book about Jesus, and something funny happened. He trusted him. He began to follow him. His hard heart had been ground to the point where the seed began to penetrate. Friends, for a hard-hearted person to change, just like in farming, 
The ground needs to be broken up first. And here's what I want to say to you. You've probably seen this in someone's life. Usually that comes through a trial, a hardship, some sort of a a persecution where they end up getting to the end of themselves, right? Some addiction where they hit rock bottom and they have nowhere else to go. Where they're tired of the legalism of the Pharisees and run to Jesus once and for all because they recognize there's no change in this. Here's something I will say to some of you who have loved ones who have hard hearts. Don't tell anybody else I'm telling you this. Sometimes the best thing you can do is pray for the boulder to get dropped on their life. Sometimes the best thing to do is pray that they come finally to the end of themselves so that there's nowhere else for them to go but to Jesus. The second kind of heart is described this way in verses 16 and 17. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word at once and receive it with joy. Now read verse 17 with me on your notes there. It says, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the world, they quickly fall away. Again, let's use Israel's land as an example here. It is known in Israel, there's sometimes this soil about two to three inches uh, thick that looks really good, but then right underneath it, there's this limestone bedrock. You can see a picture of an example of this here. So listen, what happens here is when the seed starts to go into this, into this soil, it sprouts up in amazing growth. But the sun comes out and it's hot there. And it starts to scorch this growth. And because the roots can't get beyond this little bedrock area, it begins to wither and die. And in verse 17, Jesus explains, look, that is like people who hear the word and they receive it like that. It's good news of great joy. But if you're following, these hearts are shallow. When it gets hard, they fall away. I've shared my story before. My spiritual wilderness time was when I went off to seminary. I went to uh, Princeton Seminary, and it was hard. Every lecture um, was just fighting against my faith and what I believe. What I haven't shared before is that I had a friend from college who went to the same seminary at the same time. And she fell away from her faith. I think of today of people who come to church and they have this incredible experience, this emotional connection to the worship or to to Jesus in some way. They have this taste of God's incredible power, but the experience of that can only take them so far. As soon as the emotional experience is gone, so is the growth. When the feelings wear off, it's time to look for another experience, right? We call these camp highs, I have nothing against camp highs. I'm all about camp. The problem is if we keep pursuing camp highs, we will dig no roots that will help us go when things begin to get hard and when our faith is challenged. Friends, I think about our country right now. I think about myself. I'll just be honest with you. I like experiences. I like good feelings. The problem is we can make the next thing the thing. And when we live that way, we're not really digging any roots in our life. Listen, here's the thing. Life in Christ, you may hate this, is a lot more like farming. Slow, deliberate obedience. To paraphrase Eugene Peterson, he talks about this with pastors. I think it's the same for any followers of Jesus. It's a long obedience in the same direction. 
Farming is not quick. Any farmers here? I see some. Yeah. Amen, right? It is a slow, deliberate process. There will be challenges. There will be hardships. But we keep moving forward. Is there any hope for shallow-hearted people in this world? I think about the person writing this gospel right now. His name's John Mark. John Mark was invited to go on a missionary journey with Barnabas and Paul. I don't know if you know this. Things got tough. If you've ever read about Paul's life, things get tough a lot. And he ditches them. He had a shallow heart. He leaves. He can't handle it anymore. And yet we read later. I'm going to actually read this in a little bit. At one point later in Paul's life, he asks for John Mark to come and visit him. Why? Because his heart had changed. He'd learned to endure. He got through the limestone bedrock of his life. The third kind of heart is the most difficult. It's called a divided heart. And Jesus describes this person in verses 18 and 19. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. Now listen, we all know what thorns do in gardens, right? Weeds and thorns, they choke out the life that we're trying to grow. I had to do gardening when I was in seminary. I worked for the grounds crew. I don't know why anybody likes gardening, seriously. Because all you do is pick weeds. Explaining this in verse 19, Jesus says, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. If you're following on your notes, Jesus here describes hearts that are divided. Divided hearts. The word is choked out by the world. Here's another picture, this again, of Israel. In Israel, the soil there. Ain't nothing growing there. Now, funny, funny story here. On Friday, I'm working on this message here at the office. And I decide over lunch, I'm going to go on a bike ride. So I go over to the path and I, I go on this bike ride. I'm about two miles in when I hear this. And I look back, my tires popped. Uh, thankfully, I was close enough to Shields because I didn't have the right tools to change my tire. I walk over to Shields and they take my tire off. And I'm going to show you a really bad picture. But here on the counter of Shields is a thorn. Yeah, this thorn popped my wheel. I couldn't ride my bike anymore. And I sat there at Shields thinking, I sure hope the Holy Spirit isn't trying to tell me something right now. (laughs) I want to point something out as well. This is a bigger thing. Uh, The Bible talks about how we have three enemies that we face as followers of Jesus. We face the devil, our flesh, and the world. Have you noticed the first three soils? Satan comes and snatches it away. Our flesh can't handle when the heat gets turned up, and so we walk away. The world is calling out with other kingdoms. Come, follow me. This is where the true life is found, and we are choked out here. The hard thing is, in this third soil, there seems to be some understanding of the kingdom. The intellect is involved. Maybe even the emotions are involved. But the point is, deep down, the will, your lifestyle, your actions have not been affected. It's like Jeff talked about last week, right? We haven't made first things first. 
We have some understanding of Jesus. We may even believe in Jesus, but it hasn't come down to the core of our lives. And so we're trying to grow in Jesus while at the same time we're grasping on to the things of this world. And the scary thing about this group is they look like Christians. We can see pretty easily the first two soils are not followers of Jesus. The trouble with this third group is it's hard to tell. If you're following on your notes, these hearts look healthy outwardly. They don't fall away. They don't run away, but there's no change. There's no obedience. There's no growth. There is no fruit. I think of one of Paul's traveling companions. His name was Demas. And notice what Paul writes about him. Do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Thorns were growing in his life, and he stopped following. I just want to include verse 11, by the way, because I referred to this earlier. Only Luke is with me, and here it is. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I, I love that. Today, I know many people who say they're committed to Christ, and yet our actions show differently. Their actions show differently. For example, some people who are followers of Jesus use their sexuality in the wrong way, right? They may know in their minds, this isn't what God's word says about my sexuality. They may even feel things about it, like conviction of sin. And yet, in the end, the seed is not penetrated deep enough where it's actually going to change the way that they live with it. This is what happened to my friend in the beginning of the story I told you. Thorns started growing. He started being called back to his old lifestyle. And instead of continuing this long obedience in the same direction, he left. The age-old question of this parable is, the third soil, a real Christian, we sometimes say, once saved, always saved. And the answer in this parable is no. Because a Christian is someone whose mind, emotions, and actions will be in alignment with the king and his kingdom. Jesus says this often. It's not just me. Here's what Jesus says in John 14, for example. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me, what? Will obey my teaching. Your actions will follow. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. Or how about Matthew 6, verse 24? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Why money? Well, that's a thorn, ain't it? That's a big time thorn, especially in our culture. Or even what Jeff preached on last week, right? Did you notice this at the end, right? A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Why? Because whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. That's pretty awesome. Not only are we invited to submit to the king and come into his kingdom, we're invited to sit at his table as his family as well. That's good news. Now listen, before you start questioning yourself, let me assure you, my heart is divided at times. Is yours? Of course it is. We all stumble and fall and sin. This is not what it's talking about. Are only perfect people going to be found in the kingdom of God? No. It'd be a kingdom of one. 
That wasn't Jesus' dream. What this is talking about, and this is a huge biblical principle, it's sometimes something we miss because we don't know the original language of Greek. What we're talking about here is this habitual, this ongoing, willful disobedience in my life, where I know what I'm doing is not aligning with God and his truth, and yet I still choose to continue to do it. This is true in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. I'm reading through numbers right now, right? And God talks about unintentional sin and intentional sin. And he sees a big difference in these things. A person who is intentionally sinning will start to feel no conviction about that. And the thorns will come and they'll choke away whatever life had been there to begin with. Finally, Jesus addresses those with hearts who receive the seed, and it produces an incredible crop. Can we read verse 20 on our notes there? It says, Others, like seed sown on the good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. That's pretty darn good production. And if you're following on your notes, these are hearts where God's word takes root, and changes them within. See the picture here of an actual farm in Israel. Seed sinking deep into the heart where it changes a person's mind, emotions, and will. And over time, like farming, through perseverance, because there will be hardships, there will be weeds, there will be thorns, there will be bad weather. Over time, a long obedience in the same direction produces an incredible crop. Character begins to change. Choices begin to change. Fruit begins to grow in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience begin to develop more and more. There's just no faking this, right? You can't fake this. It's the natural process of what happens to someone whose life has been penetrated by the king and who are living in his kingdom. Have we seen any examples of this in our study of Mark yet? Of course, right? Think about Levi, this tax collector leaving everything behind in order to follow Jesus. And the very first thing he does is invite other people to know Jesus. That's fruit. I think about the disciples. Luke talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? Leaving everything behind to follow him. Why? Because he's worth it. He's worth all of this. I think about many of you. I'm looking around this room right now. You're doing this. You're serving children in the preschool. You're teaching the Bible to others. You see your workplace as a mission field. You look at your neighbors and your neighborhood as a place to spread the seed of the gospel. You're serving the least of these in our city and in our world. You are producing a harvest and you cannot fake that. It is the natural result of you abiding in Jesus and allowing him and his kingdom to bear fruit, to manifest in your life. It's hard, right? Let's not deny that because there's still challenges. There's still weeds. But over time, as we do this, there's growth and there's life and there's fruit. I got to tell you back in my old Pharisee days, I used to read this parable and hate it because it was bad news to me. I'm like that soil. I'm like the second soil. I'm like the third soil. I must not be saved. Now, now here's the thing. Is this supposed to be bad news? Jesus says, I'm going around to teach the good news of the kingdom of God. And here he gives us a parable about the kingdom of God. So I don't think this is meant to be bad news. I think it's meant to be good news. Of course, we're going to fall into these traps at different seasons in our life, but Jesus isn't teaching guilt or shame. 
He's teaching the good news about the kingdom of God. And so what is the good news of this parable? Well, here's how I put it. The king is inviting you to receive his kingdom. And you don't have to earn it. The kingdom of God is like seed. And you simply make yourself available to receive it and let it dig roots down into your life. This kingdom is different from any other kingdom in this world because Jesus as king will never force his kingdom upon you. He will just make it available to you, which is what he's doing here. He's like a farmer spreading seed, saying, you're welcome to come. You're welcome to join me in the greatest adventure of your life. And you either receive this invitation or you reject it. There's no fake in it. So has the word of God taken hold of your life? Have you given your mind and your emotions and your will fully to the king and to Jesus? Listen, the king has come and he's inviting you. Yeah, you. Shallow-hearted person. Hard-hearted person. Thorny person. I don't know what better word to use than that. Receive this. It's good news. And if you have received it, I would say... There's more good news in this parable that you've perhaps experienced. When deep roots begin to dig in your life, fruit becomes evident. And that's fun. That's when life starts to get good. I put it this way, if you're following, his promise is his kingdom is the abundant life we long for. Not the other kingdoms of this world we chase after. They're never going to fulfill what you're seeking, but his kingdom will. That's his promise to you. Jesus said it this way in my life verse. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, I didn't believe this verse either when I was young, when I was a Pharisee. Now, the good life's out there. The good life's in more money. The good life's in more girlfriends. The good life's in more stuff. I'm old now, and I've come to realize the good life is Jesus. None of those things can fulfill. None of those things can satisfy. Only he can help us to bear everlasting fruit. And that's the good life. So friends, as we close, there's really only one question we got to answer. What kind of soil am I? If you're following, what is my heart towards the king and his kingdom truly? If you find yourself relating to one of the first three soils, again, what keeps you from submitting yourself fully to this king who is inviting you into his kingdom and his family? As we prepare for communion, we're going to just spend some time in quiet. Did you know that Paul, when he talks about communion, says, before we take it, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. And so we're going to do that right now. We're going to take some time to examine ourselves. So let's bow our heads and let me just open up in prayer. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, the King, who stepped aside from his throne, from his glory in heaven, became a human being. All so that we may find life and life to the full, which can only be found in his kingdom. We're thankful for his teaching 
today. It isn't easy to hear sometimes, but we need it. We need moments like this to just examine our hearts. Have I become hardened to the good news of the kingdom? Are things getting really hard right now? And I I just want to walk away from this. This isn't worth it. Or do I recognize at this moment there are things that I'm chasing after more than you? We take time now individually believing the Holy Spirit is present and at work in our midst and open ourselves to hear from you as we apply this word to our lives. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like more information, visit cherryhillsfamily.org or find us on Facebook. 